I like, I like you guys. That's good. I like you guys already. I like you already. There's a lot of energy here, isn't there? Say energy. Energy. There's a lot of energy. Where are all the introverts? Are there any introverts here at all? Put your hand up if you're an introvert. There's two. Let's give these introverts a round of applause. How are you surviving? They won't be introverts for long if they stick around here, that's for sure. I feel uh, a bit overwhelmed because this is the biggest revelation meeting ever, I think, possibly. And I'm speaking at it, which makes me a little bit nervous because if you hate me, don't hate them. That's all I would say, okay? So if you don't like me and what I have to say by the end of it, Revelation are great. It's a great church. Come again next Sunday. You will love it. It'll be even better than this week. Uh, my name is Simon. I've, uh, I, as I said, as Steph said, I can't. Oh, that's a really annoying lead here. Okay. Um, Steph says I come from uh, Bedford, lead a church there, and I've uh, brought my lovely wife Caroline down on the team. If you're with me on, uh, come from the Kings Arms, why don't you just stand up real quick? Let's welcome these guys and give them a round We, God is good, isn't He? He is good all the time. And uh, he is on the move across the nation and across the nations. We've just been seeing some great stuff. We had a guy come for the first time a couple of months ago, and he turned up, and uh, during the service, someone had a word of knowledge, and they said, there's someone here with neck pain, and uh, we just feel like God's going to do something this morning. So this guy stood up and responded to that. He had had neck pain for 10 years. Uh, he'd been hit in the spine 10 years previously and had been continual pain for 10 years. There's no, the doctor said, there's nothing we can do for you. Uh, it was just in continual pain the whole time. Someone prayed for him. The guy standing next to him prayed for him and instantly the pain left and he was totally free and he's been completely healed ever since I spoke to him the other day. He said, I'm completely free. Isn't that good? Isn't that, isn't that good? Enjoy that? Um, last Sunday we had a, a lady come And uh, 11 years previously, she was driving in her car. She'd had major concern about her daughter. And uh, as she was driving in her car, an audible voice said, your daughter is going to be fine. She wasn't a Christian. She didn't believe in God. She believed in a higher power. And so for 11 years, she's been calling this voice a higher power. Her daughter was, in fact, fine through the serious condition that she was uh, concerned about. Last Sunday, she came to church for the fourth time, she'd come to King's Arms four times in a, four weeks in a row. Uh, someone had a word of noise. They said, "There's someone here. You're you're at a turnstiles, and you've heard worship, and it's changed your life. And God is calling you to give your life to Him today." And so she uh, responded because the first Sunday that she'd come during worship, she had just wept the whole service. And the worship was the thing that drew her to Jesus. And so that Sunday, she gave her life to Christ for the first time. She's now calling the higher power God for the first time in her life. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray, shall we? Jesus, we thank you that you are on the move. We thank you that you are alive and that you are on the move today. And we say, Spirit of Jesus, come and dwell with us and in us and work your work amongst us, we pray. Let your word come alive to us. We ask it in your name. Amen. Um, I've been told this talk, Heavenly Avalanche. You know, when uh, an avalanche starts, it starts with often a very small sound. Sometimes a shout, sometimes a, a, a tree branch breaking. It's enough 
to start a, a mighty uh, move of snow and ice down a mountain. A small sound starts that thing. And you know, when Jesus died on the cross, he cried out, it is finished. And if you like, it was like a heavenly avalanche was launched at that, that point. The, the, the power necessary for everything that we see Jesus doing today was released in that moment. The same power that raised Christ from the dead was, was released and is still at work in, in us today. And so um, Jesus, when he was uh, 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 on, the, on the earth, commissioned the disciples. Three times he told them, he said, preach the kingdom, cast out demons and heal the sick. And that was his commission. And, and I don't know about you, but I think we should be doing what Jesus told us to do. do any, anyone agree with me? Even the introverts agree with that, you see. We should be doing what Jesus told us to do. Uh, but so much of the church, I, I think, doesn't actually do what Jesus told them to do. And I haven't for many years of my Christian life. But I feel this stirring that we should be doing what Jesus told us to do. We should be joining in with this heavenly avalanche that is going on. And um, Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I send you. So this is not just for the spiritual elite. This is for everyone. Say everyone. Turn to the person next to you and say, you. If I didn't believe you, say it again. Look, some of you didn't... Some, you, see, you see, that's what we're going to look at today, is how do we bring the kingdom? We had a couple of uh, guys, they were out on a treasure hunt. And as they were going out, before they went, we do these extreme treasure hunts, they prayed and they said, uh, and God said to them, there's going to be a blue light and a girl dressed in black. And so as they went out, they were wandering around the town, they saw a blue light. And they waited by the blue light, and sure enough, a girl dressed in black came along. And the other word that, that one of the team had had was bad news. And so they said, excuse me, this is going to sound a bit weird, but we're waiting by this blue light for a girl dressed in black. And God says, you've had some bad news. And uh, she says, you're right, my auntie has just got cancer. So they said, can we pray for you? So they prayed for her then. And then the team kind of moved on, kind of blessed her. She was kind of blown away with what's going on here. People waiting by a blue light. Uh, it's strange. <laughs> And then one of the team, as they were walking away, said, God said something else to him. And, and he wasn't sure if it was a bit, you know, he wasn't sure if he should go back. But the, other, the rest of the team encouraged him. So he went back. And he said, I just felt like God said to me, your boyfriend isn't very nice to you, is, is he? And she began to cry. And she said, no, he beats me. And so the team were just able to come around her and pray for her and show her who she really was. That she did not have to live like that anymore. That God was interested in her, in her life. You see, the biblical worldview is a physical world that we see and then a spiritual world that we don't see. And to do the works that Jesus called us to do, we must live with a reality of both worlds. So, many, so often we live with a reality of this world, the world that we can see, but overlaid on that, superimposed as it were, there is this spiritual world that we, that we can't see. My Father-in-law has got a 72-inch plasma TV. You, you respect me more now, I've told you that, don't you? <laughs> so, I mean, this thing's so big, you know, to sit in the garden to appreciate its full vista. And the beauty of it is it has picture in picture, which for all of the guys there, ladies, you won't understand this, but guys, you, you, the beauty of this is that you can watch one thing while flicking through the other channels on the picture in picture. Isn't that awesome? I mean, that is, that is how TV should be. You see, so, so, uh, so you've got this picture in picture, and, and that's how we should live, with the awareness of the physical realm, but 
also being aware of the spiritual realm. And there's two uh, worldviews, as it were, that oppose this. The first, and they're technical terms, so stay with me. The first is Christian head-in-the-sandism. And uh, Christian head-in-the-sandism is the, is the belief that if, it's a technical term, I understand, but it's, it's the belief that if I just ignore the spiritual world, if I just keep my head in the sand, it will go away. It will just leave me alone. And it won't. It, it's a naive view. And I urge you, stop it. If that's you, stop it. Because Jesus did not live with his head in the sand. He, w- he dealt with the physical, so sometimes he would heal the sick, and it, they were just sick. And other times, he would heal the sick, and it was said he drove out a spirit of infirmity. So it can be the same thing, physical world, but a spiritual worldview. Both were going on. And then there's the other worldview, which, which resists this wor- the worldview that we're talking about today. The other worldview uh, is Christian annoying super-spiritualism. And uh, Christian annoying super-spiritualism is this. It's where everything has got a demon behind it. And you will have met people like this. You know, you cough and they try and cast it out of you. <laughs> you know, you sneeze and they ask you to tell you about your father. And, uh, and you, you, some of you... Some of you have met people like this, haven't you? You're laughing. Some of you are people like this, aren't you? <laughs> the solution is stop it. And so we want to today look at some tools in the toolbox. And, the, and in your notes, you'll see there's three tools. As we seek to do the works of Jesus, to bring the kingdom, and particularly in this area of setting people free, there are three tools in the toolbox. There is, uh, they're healing the heart wounds. We're not really going to look at that, that today. There's renewing the mind, how we deal with the, the, the lies of the enemy that get into our mind. And then there's deliverance, how we deal with the demonic. And that is the, uh, the issue that we're going to focus on largely uh, today. And I know some of you are thinking, when we talk about demons, you're thinking, well, you know, green slime coming out of noses, heads spinning around, all that kind of stuff. And I, and I don't think we're going to see that today, but if we do, we're going to film it and sell it on the internet and make a lot of money. So um, let's get on. If you've got a Bible, turn to Mark 9, because there's a great story in Mark that will help us unpack this whole area. So Mark 9, verse 14 and this is a story about Jesus. He's with a few of his disciples, and they're coming down out, uh, out of a, uh, off a mountain, and they meet up with the rest of uh, the disciples. And it starts at verse 14. It says, And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed, and they ran to him and greeted him. You see... Uh, The biblical worldview is that demons are very real beings. They are very real beings. They are spiritual beings who were driven out of heaven. And the Bible says, uh, it seems to allude to the fact that a third of the angelic realm were driven out and became what we know today as demonic spirits. And which means that two-thirds are on our side. So for every demon that has come here today, that is here in the spiritual realm that we can't see, don't look around, that every demon that we can't see, there are at least two angels outnumber two, two to one. Well, that's good news, isn't it? Is that, is that good news? So that's good news. So there are at least two to, to one on our side. But the better news is Jesus. I mean, we should be encouraged by that, but we should be more encouraged by Jesus because on the cross, God's power was released into the spiritual realm to defeat everything of wickedness. On the cross, salvation, completeness, wholeness, everything you need 
was one on the cross. On the cross, our old self, it says, was crucified, which means that all of the habitual sin that you face, that you battle with day in, day out, everything necessary to defeat that was done on the cross. Everything was done when Jesus died. There's nothing else that needs to be done. It was all done to defeat every habitual sin that you have ever faced or will ever face. On the cross, it says in Ephesians 2, we were reconciled to each other and we were reconciled to God. Which means that uh, all hatred and enmity was defeated on the cross. Everything necessary. You might think, well, hang on a minute, you haven't met my family. You know, you haven't haven't met my mum and dad. I mean, we're at each other's throats the whole time. But you know, in Ephesians 2, it says, on the cross, he made peace and he preached peace. There's two stages. Everything necessary was done. He made peace and then he preached it. He proclaimed it. So our job, if you like, is to apply the peace that he has won. Everything necessary was won for your family to be reconciled, for you to be uh, at peace with those that, uh, that are warring with you or you with them. Everything necessary was done. We've just got to proclaim. We've got to preach and teach into that peace. The record of debt against us was cancelled. The enemy was disarmed and defeated. Physical, spiritual, emotional healing. It was all done at the cross. Is that good news or what? Is that... That is good news. That should encourage us. Uh, When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't say, I've had a go or I've done my best. He said, it is finished. You know, for me, my teenage years, I was um, massively addicted to pornography and uh, battled with it and lost for years. Week in, week out, day in, day out. And uh, when I came to Christ in my 20s, um, I'd got free, it was still an issue, but not like it was in my teenage years, but, so I'd got some level of freedom. But there was a massive hangover from it, because I would come into worship like this, and where everyone else was worshipping Jesus, I would try, but I would have images of the stuff that I had seen almost not physically appearing, but I could see them in my mind. I was bombarded with unclean thoughts. I mean, it was just horrendous. And so there were all these lovely Christian people worshipping Jesus, and there I was with a mind filled with junk. And however much I tried to swap them away, they would not go. They would not go. They just kept coming back. It was like literally like flies swarming around my head in the spiritual realm, in my thought life. And so uh, I... I did the best thing that I could have done, and it took me months to get to this point. I, I, there was a guy in the church, and I thought, I can trust you. And so I went to him, and I said, could I meet up with you? And there's something I need to talk through. And so we sat down one evening, and I told him the whole sorry story. And at the end of it, instead of being re- revulsed, instead of rejecting me, he just put his arm around me and said, Simon, my poor, you poor, poor boy, let me pray for you. And he prayed for me, and he prayed a load of the stuff that I'd already prayed about, what Christ done on, had done on the cross, you know, that God loved me, all of this stuff I'd been praying for months, years. And at the end of it, he said, now if there's anything of the enemy that's come into Simon's life through this addiction to pornography, I command you to leave right now. And as he said that, I felt like a tightening in my throat and I began to cough this thing out, this spirit that had attached itself to me through my sin 
coughed out. And the next day, it was totally different. Now, I'm not saying there haven't been battles in that area, but it was like, it was like night and day. The, the level of the battle was like night and day. Freedom was... I was no longer fighting something on the inside. And, and later, just a few years ago, in fact, last year, I was at a conference. We were hosting a conference. And uh, the speaker in the first session, I'd never met him before, and in the first session, he spoke for two hours. And uh, I was kind of, we'd never, it was our first conference as a church we'd ever hosted. There was like 100, uh, about 100 people there. And I was dying inside. As he was speaking and speaking and speaking, I was thinking, you're going too long, you're going too long. A bit like Steph is thinking now. And, uh, and so I was dying on the inside. And so the next night, as I put the, micro, the tape recorder on him, I said, to, I said as a joke, um, well, this thing is good for two hours. You can talk for as long as you like. And I sat down. And as I did so, the Holy Spirit just nailed me and said, you have got a spirit of control. I'm not saying this so that Steph doesn't feel the same way. (laughs) You have got a spirit of control. And so I just began to repent. And that night, as I took the guy home, he was staying in our house, in our kitchen, I, I just confessed the whole thing to him and just said, this is how I was feeling. When I said this... I was dishonouring you because I wasn't serious. And he had no idea. He thought I was joking until I told him the truth. (laughs) And uh, we had to work that out as well. But anyway, and so he just put his hand on me and just prayed for me. And immediately I had this tightness in my chest and this demonic thing of control was broken and just came out. You see, when you come into the light, some of you will have issues that you are warring day day, day, day out, day in. And you know them, as I'm talking about this today, you know. As you come into the light, Jesus will set you free. Some of you will have issues that you didn't even know you had before you walked in today. Sorry about that. (laughs) But Jesus can also set you free. I I had this control thing, I had no idea. It was demonic. But Jesus came in to set me free. So let's read on a little bit in in Mark. You guys doing okay? You're a bit quiet, you've got a bit quiet now, you... The introverts are like, oh, we shut those extroverts up at last. <laughs> and he asked them, verse 16, what are you arguing with them about? This is Jesus speaking. And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able to. Notice that this demonic thing had a manifestation in his life. This was a severe one. It threw him to the ground. You know, this is a severe manifestation. And there's some other symptoms that we can observe. You'll see these in in your notes. Obviously, I need to add that not all of these have a demonic cause. You know, don't become like the, the, the Christian annoying super spiritualism and start trying to drive a demon out of everyone who sneezes. But some of these indicate that there is a demonic cause. So sin that we just cannot seem to break. You've, you've repented, you've told someone, you've, you've, just, you've done everything you know to do, but you just cannot seem to break it. That can be demonic in its cause. Uh, repeated thoughts, lies like flies, as I talked about, fear, shame, anger, hatred, self-pity, death, jealousy, adultery. Just stuff that renewing the mind, reading your Bible, just cleansing your mind, just doesn't shift. You just keep getting this stuff back and back again. I, I was praying with a guy the other day, and the phrase that came to me was, as we were praying was, I am not. And so I said to him, I just, this phrase comes to me, I am not. Does that mean anything? And he said, oh yeah, yeah. He said, my whole life I've said, I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not that, I'm not the other, I'm not that. 
His whole life was defined by who he was not. Not who he was, but who he was not. And so I said, would you want to just repent of that now? So he repented. We said, and he said, I know what it is. It's a fear of failure. So I said, why don't you just repent of allowing that fear of failure? Repented of that fear of failure. A massive freedom. He's weeping. God just broke in and set him free. See, lies like flies just keep coming, and, and that can be a good indicator. Blackouts, rages, self, self-hate or harm, suicide, life-controlling addictions, you know, theft, drugs, alcohol, sex, porn, gambling, the full gamut. Many of these are indicators and are also gateways to the demonic in your life. Religious error and confusion, again, not all of it, but much of it. You know, you know Manchester United supporters, you know, it's a clear sign. There's uh, something wrong there. Um, mental instability again, again it, it can also be chemical or emotional so it's not necessarily de- demonic but that can be a sign there some people say to me how do you know you know how do you know someone when, they, 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 when I give a talk like this they, they, they want how do you know if that's demonic or not and the, the very simple answer is you don't you just don't know and so I never say to someone you have a demon I never, never say to someone, you have a, a demon of this or that. Uh, I, I find it, you know, some people run around doing that, and it's very antisocial. And so I, I tend not to do that. Instead, what I would say, if they say, I've, I've got this issue, um, you know, do you think it's demonic? I'd say, well, let's pray. And what I do is I pray. I don't ever use the word demon apart from when I'm doing a talk like this. What I'll do is I'll, I'll just pray for people and I'll say, now if there's any spiritual oppression, anything from the enemy in this person's life, I command you to leave right now. And sooner or later it will show itself and, and leave. You might find that, that helpful. Um, let's read on a little bit in Mark, shall we? Verse 19. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring the boy to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. It has often cast him it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything to help or have, or have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. So that again, when the demonic comes into the presence of God, into the presence of Jesus here, it exposes stuff and you see things. And this often will bring fear into the, into the lives of Christians. You know, often now on Sundays, we will see uh, some of these manifestations. So people shaking. It's not always a sign of the Holy Spirit. People's body and hands going rigid. I've been through a, a whole thing recently of just cleansing my hands from all the stuff that I've done in my life. And as I've done that, I've noticed that sometimes my hands will go rigid as demonic stuff comes free. And, I, and it gets out of my, my life. And I've seen that in numbers of other people that I've prayed for as I've prayed prayed for them. We've used our hands for a lot of junk and we need to repent and we need to break strongholds off our hands. Because if we want the power of God to flow through our hands, which is the, the major way in, in, uh, uh, that it does through scripture, Jesus laid his hands on people and the power of God came, then we need to cleanse our hands.
intense, often. Pain, pressure, cramps, often in the stomach area. You'll, you'll see during worship people, or you're praying for someone, and you'll ask them, how are you doing? And they say, oh, I've got this pain. You know, it might be last night's dodgy lasagna, or it might be an indicator that there's something demonic going on. Thoughts like, shut up, I'm not coming out, you don't know what you're doing, get out of here, run, there's too many of us, all those kind of things. Often people will get these bizarre thoughts that they think, God, oh, I didn't even realize I was thinking that a few minutes ago. Um, as you're praying for them or during worship, there's these manifestations of the, of the demonic. For example, I was praying for a lady one time over a shame issue, myself and a, uh, I never pray for ladies on my own, but there's another lady there as well. And as we were praying, uh, we just weren't getting anywhere with this. And then uh, we just said to her, what's going on? And she's like, nothing, nothing's going on. And, and so uh, then the lady I was praying with uh, just had a word of knowledge. And she said, this is something to do with your mother, isn't it? And, uh, and then a whole memory came back of an issue that she'd had with her mother concerning the shame that had come into her life. And so we prayed for her, and there was massive freedom came out of this thing. Suddenly, we went from nothing happening to major freedom uh, in this lady's life. And at the end of it, we said, what, you know, had you any clue about this thing with your mother? And she said, oh yeah, all the way through the time we were praying, I had the thought, this is to do with my mum. But then another thought came and said, no, that's irrelevant. So I didn't tell you. Well, oh, thanks, you could have saved us about half an hour. And... Uh, <laughs> You see, because it was a demonic voice saying, no, that's irrelevant. And so she didn't say it, even though it was very, very irrelevant. Shouting, screaming, crying. Now, the, the, the main thing to remember is that when you see stuff like this, you might experience it in your small group, you might experience it here on a Sunday. Do not be afraid. Turn to the person next to you and say, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Because, and i tell you why. The enemy's number one strategy is to stay silent and to stay hidden and to stay in your life. He knows that as soon as he is exposed, as soon as something comes to the surface, then freedom is just around the corner. And so it's important to remember that. And then Jesus uh, asks about this, the entry point. He asks the Father, how long has it been here? And, and the demonic enters through different means. There's different ways that it comes into people's lives. Uh, lives. Uh, words, particularly repeated words, even words that are not said aloud. Like, uh, like the Bible says, life and death is in the power of the tongue. Sinning repeatedly, generational sin, trauma. You know, I was praying with someone who, uh, whose father had tried to strangle them. And uh, through that, this demonic thing of fear, it seems so unfair, doesn't it? But this, the enemy is not fair in the way that he operates. And so as they were uh, through this traumatic thing with their father where they were trying to be, where he was trying to strangle them, fear had entered their life and had dominated their life from that point. And when that was exposed and broken, they were completely set free. Occult involvement, of course, and then curses. And then Jesus is looking for faith. In 923, it says, if you can... Everything is possible for him who believes. And the father explained, I do believe, help my unbelief, which is like the, the lowest level of belief that kind of registers. You know, the needle was barely flickering on the bottom of the scale, but it was enough. And you know, when I meet with someone, however long or short I have, I'm always looking for faith to come. Because I know that the Bible says in Joel 2, whoever calls upon the Lord will be delivered will be delivered. It is inevitable. And so if I can get someone to believe those words, that they will be free, then they will be free. Whether they're free in this session or next session or whenever, it doesn't matter. They will be free. The enemies wanted to lock us up in unbelief that I'm going to be like this forever, that I'm going to stuck like this, I was born like this, my family like this, and it's all lies. 
because whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. So I'm looking for that. And often I'll say to people, just take these scriptures, pin them on your mirror. Go after this stuff. Speak to this thing and say, fear, I'm not going to live with you in my life anymore. Sexual sin, I'm not going to live with you in my life. Even if you've messed up the day before, the night before, the hour before, speak the truth out and you will be free. Your life will be transformed. How they, they leave, I think it reads on in uh, verse 25. And when Jesus saw the crowd coming, he re- uh, running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. After, cr- after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse. So many of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. Demons leave mostly through the breath. The, the word in the original language, spirit, is the same as breath. And I've noticed and observed that they often come out through the breath. So coughing is the most common way. As I, so if you've got a cough here, I'm sorry. Um, but coughing is the most common way that they, they come out of people. Vomiting sometimes, which is very unpleasant. And, uh, but it's rarely food. It's often phlegm. And often as the presence of God comes, people will just like expel this stuff. They come out through the breath. Screaming, shrieking, roaring. Sometimes it's all a bit noisy. I just tell them to be quiet and get out. Sighing. You know, I prayed with a... I had some parents come to me once and they talked with the... They had a son who was about five. And he would just get so angry, he would go rigid. Literally, his mother could pick him up like a plank of wood. He was rigid with rage. And they talked to him, they had counselling for him. Nothing worked. And he's five-year-old and he's dominating his family with this rage. I mean, it just would come over him and he would be rigid with rage. Literally, sometimes on the pavement, outside the house, on the way to school, he would just go as stiff as a board. Rage, shaking him, shaking him rage. And so uh, I never prayed for kids while they were away, but we went over to their house. And as a, as a uh, family, his mum, his dad and me, we just prayed. We laid hands on this boy and sleep and we prayed and nothing seemed to happen apart from midway through he just let out a little sigh (sighs) just as if he was rolling over in his sleep the next morning he was totally changed he was never the same again he never went into those rages again god totally set him free burping or yawning again um might be a dodgy curry um or or nothing sometimes they just leave They just go. You know, when the power of Christ comes through you and in you, the demonic has to flee. Sometimes it takes a while, but it has to go. And sometimes it's nothing. I've prayed with many people and said, you know, what's going on? We've identified the issue. We're not even sure it was demonic. We pray. Do they feel anything? Don't feel anything? Next few days, weeks, months, they notice their life is totally different. So that's how you can tell when it's gone, when the symptoms disappear. If the symptoms don't go, then pray again. Go after it again. Then lastly, just in your notes, you'll see a bit called the five R's, a framework for freedom from spiritual oppression. Um, I won't do the bit on why they sometimes don't don't come out. Um, The five R's. Firstly, recognize the central issue. Try and get to the heart of it. I want to equip you guys. That's why I just want to do this a little bit very quickly. Repent and and forgive. Often repentance and forgiveness are key because the demonic comes in through sin. And so as we repent... Uh, we break the stronghold, we break the, the, the foothold. The Bible says, do not give the enemy a foothold. And we break that foothold as we repent, and then we forgive. 
anyone who's sinned against us. Unforgiveness is one of the biggest barriers to the demonic leaving. And so as we forgive, we set people free uh, and we get ourselves free. And then to renounce it, just renounce that lifestyle. Start living in a different lifestyle. Start saying, I'm not going to live like this anymore. I renounce you. Even if you think, well, I might do this again tomorrow. Doesn't matter. Keep on renouncing this until your life changed and reject it, the demonic oppression. Command it to leave in Jesus' name. I always get the person who I'm praying with to say this themselves. Because so often they think, I'm going to come and wave a magic wand or put my hands on them and something's going to happen. But I want them to understand that they are not a victim anymore. That they are conquerors through Christ. And this thing that's kept them in bondage for so long is now subject to them. The Bible says everything is under the feet of Christ. And we're the body, so it's under us. And so... I always tell people, you tell it to go, you tell it to leave, because I want to leave them in a place where they are empowered to deal with this thing if it comes up, or, and also they're empowered to help other people. And lastly, replace. Ask God to come and fill with his love, his peace, and whatever is the opposite to the thing that's just gone. And we've just got a few more minutes I want to spend on something else, but just turn to the person next to you and say, I hope he leaves time for ministry, because I think you need some help. Why don't you um, just say that to them? Just have a little stretch. Um, so just this last section, which we'll do quickly because we do want to leave time for prayer, is renewing the mind, dealing with ungodly beliefs. And I wanted to do this because um, this is such a key, I believe, to getting people free, is actually starting to deal with the lies that the enemy has sown into our lives over a lifetime. Ungodly belief is any belief, decision, or attitude, or agreement that does not agree with God, his word, his nature, or his character. Everyone, to some extent, has ungodly beliefs about God, themselves, and others. We all carry them. And the more we get rid of them, the more we will walk and be the person that Christ has paid for us to be. Um, becoming a Christian, many of these lies get dealt with, but many of them are left dormant. That's why Paul wrote in Romans 12, I believe, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, there's a transformation that takes place as we deal with the lies, the unbelief, and the lies that come into our mind. And, and until an ungodly belief is pointed out to us, it can be completely hidden. It can be, we can be completely oblivious until someone else points it out uh, to us. And so, for example, my situation uh, was uh, where I told the story I told you at the beginning uh, about the control thing. My ungodly belief was, as leader of this church, I need to control this environment for everyone else's benefit. Now, there is a, a truth in that and where I need to, as leader, as an elder in the church, I need to be responsible. But there's a very fine line between being responsible and being controlling, and many leaders fall into it. And so I had an ungodly belief of control which needed to be broken. Until that moment where I put the microphone on him and said those words and sat down and the Spirit nailed me, I was totally oblivious that I'd stepped over that line and become a controlling person. How they get formed, often through childhood hurt and trauma. For example, a child who's never praised may generate the ungodly belief, if I work harder, I will be noticed. They depend on... Our makeup. So, a girl who's uh, who's never uh, told by her father how beautiful, how wonderful she is, she can either go two ways. One way would be to say, "Nothing I'll, I'll ever do will please my dad. I'm just ugly," and give up. The other route is, "I'll show him. I'll shock him. 
I'll go with this guy and that will prove something to him. You see, it's the same problem at the start, but different solutions. Uh, and it depends on the makeup of the girl as to which way she would choose. Some ungodly beliefs form from actual parental uh, training. Son, trust no one. Honey, men will always let you down. Dad's a loser. Mum's a control freak. These things come on through parental training. You may identify, even as, we're, even as I'm talking, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just reveal ungodly beliefs that come in through parental training. It's a, it's a powerful way. For example, we had a lady in our church we were praying with, and... Um, she had the ungodly belief, trust no one. And we said, Holy Spirit, just show us where this came in. Because I, I don't know, she didn't know. We said, let's pray. So we prayed and we said, Holy Spirit, just show us where this came in. And immediately she had a memory. And in the memory, her brother, who was about 10 or so at the time, was standing on a wall. And uh, her dad was saying, come on, son, jump, jump. And it was a high wall. It was like a six-foot wall. Come on, jump, I'll catch you. And the boy was saying, it's too high, it's too high. And his dad said, come on, I'll jump, I'll jump, I'll catch you. So the boy jumps, and as he does, his dad took a, a, a step back and watched him hit the floor. And the boy was in agony. The sister was watching this. And as, she's on the, as he's on the floor crying, his legs in pain, the dad looked down at him and said, that will teach your son, trust no one. Now, we were praying with the, his sister, who it didn't even happen to her. She was just there. But that moment was so powerful, she had picked up the ungodly belief, trust no one. She believed it. Even though she could see it was wrong, she had believed it. That's an extreme example, and many more are much more subtle than that. They come in through our culture, often through TV or our educational system, which TV and, and education are unquestioned in our society often, and, and kids just suck them up uh, and believe whatever's on there. And often rep- repetition of hurts reinforce it. They, what the enemy I've seen tries to do is he sows in a lie early in your life, and then he'll repeat the lie throughout your life until it becomes like a fortress, like a stronghold over you. So, that, so the, 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 we almost become, we, we become sensitive. So, for example, if you've been rejected as a child, you start to look for rejection. And you notice rejected people often get rejected. They're almost looking for rejection because it's become like a stronghold over their lives. And the enemy loves to just build up the brick wall in that same area. So just a few examples. I won't go through all of these. But rejection, I don't belong. No one cares about me. I'll always be lonely. Trust no one. Guilt and shame. I've been too bad to receive anything from God. Even God can't change me. There's a prime with a girl just this Sunday gone. And her ungodly belief was, I'll never be good enough for God. Now, in a sense, that's true. But it was a lie because what Christ has done was enough for her. But she didn't believe that somewhere deep down in her heart. Identity issues. I should have been a boy or a girl. Men or women have it better. Real men uh, don't or do this. Um... Safety, I must be guarded or people will use it against me. Hide emotions or feelings or people will think you're weak. That's a massive one, particularly for guys in our culture. It's a huge one. Being open means that you get hurt. Relationships, I'll never have friends. Friends will always let you down. Trust friends only so much. You can only count on family or God. God's too busy to be interested. I'll never do enough to please him. God has let me down. God only wants me for what I can do. There's one under performance as well which many people believe, if I'm busy, then I'm valuable to God. Keep myself busy because busy people have value. That is a lie. You have value because of who God says you are, not because of what you do. We need to get free from that stuff. And so how do we get free? Just on the last page. 
identify the ungodly belief. Ask questions until you've identified it. Write it down. Often when we write down the ungodly belief as we're praying with someone or as we're just it's been exposed in our own hearts, it's worth writing it down. Because when we sit in the cold light of black, of black on white, suddenly we realise how ungodly it is. You know, if you, if you, unless you, until you see it in that point, you know, if you, if you knew it was ungodly, you wouldn't have believed it. It's only when you see it and the Holy Spirit identifies it then you start to realise how ungodly it is. And then break agreement with it. So I break agreement with the lie that if I'm busy, then I'm valuable. I renounce that lie. Father, I ask your forgiveness for it. You see, Jesus has come to set us free. And I believe we are called as churches and as individuals to be on a mission together. And the more that we get free, the more of this good news we'll have to take to others. It's not just good news in our heads. It suddenly becomes good news in our hearts. We suddenly are equipped to bring freedom to a dying and broken world out there that is desperate for this stuff. It's desperate for a real encounter with the living God that sets them free. I mean, I hear so many stories, so much pain, so much pain. And God wants to set his church free so that we can carry this message of freedom wherever we go. We're seeing deliverance and freedom all over the place. That's no longer just in the church, no longer just on Sundays, breaking out people getting set free all over the place because Jesus loved this world so much that he gave himself up for it. Everything necessary was done on the cross. He made peace. Now it's time for us to proclaim peace. Let's pray, shall we? Firstly, I'd just love to pray where you are for those, if you're not a believer here yet this morning and you want to give your life to Christ, if you want to say, Jesus, I want to ask your forgiveness Why don't you just pray this prayer for me? I want to join this family. I want to become a follower of you. Just pray this prayer after me.